Welcome back to part two with the Dean and Alex, the Books Boys. Whoa, baby. Did you want to get into your next book or do you want me to get into mine? You can go, but first, I neglected earlier to mention it when it was more appropriate, but I'll mention it now. This month, we are sponsored by um, making a ripoff.gov.uk. So if you'd ever like to make a book that is just a blatant ripoff of Zorro, but not very good, you go to those guys and they will give you the help that you need to release something that is unreviewable and really quite unreadable. And it's called Coyote. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's hear what you read next. So the next one I read, I don't actually have any notes for it, but it's Brave New World by Huxley. Yes. And so I always see this come up in conversations when we talk about 1984. It's yeah. this, uh, Brave New World, 1984, and Fahrenheit 451. You sometimes get some others thrown in there, and we might talk about that a little bit mm-hmm. later. But Brave They're New the World big is... Three. Yeah, it's... The original, I believe, of those type, but I don't want to call it like dystopian fiction because I messaged you throughout reading this asking, is this actually a dystopia? I kind of like it. <laughs> and it's a yeah. weird it's a weird book, I feel, because it's not your standard like here are these main characters. I don't know what the main character is. I don't know if there is a main character in this book because the first few chapters are you're basically in like a laboratory setting where they make people people have been made so this is after ford is the time that they use like 600 years and people are all made and you have like apparently some womb like they use wombs it's not necessarily people i guess Mm-hmm. that are having thousands of kids in their lifetimes and you'll have all these twins being made so you might be part of like a hundred twins and each of these sets of people are then given certain chemicals to adjust how they are once they grow up so they are some are alphas some are epsilons and it goes basically from A to E. Mm-hmm. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, so and so on. This is the dystopian element. This kind of ranking of society, the class system, the fact that there is no social mobility, really. There is definitely no social mobility. You are chosen to be an alpha plus. You are chosen to be an epsilon. And But what's interesting about it is if you are an epsilon or i think one of the characters was a beta in this case the betas are told like i'm so happy to be a beta i'm so glad i'm not an epsilon but they also say like epsilons get the same thing like i'm so happy to be an epsilon and not a beta because then if you're a beta you have all these other things to worry about Mm. but everybody's happy everybody is happy there's not a single thing that you're worried about and if something sort of worries you you then also can take drugs called soma yes but the epsilon are doing the the hard work right yeah no it's not exactly the hard work it's the simple work Mm. like you have one epsilon i remember he works in the elevator and he goes up and down and that is it that's it so i can we can get into it in a minute but i suppose 
the the strict class system is what makes it dystopian for me um the yeah. fact that you're put somewhere and, and that's it you know and you, you cannot make any progression but also you know it's easy to say so look the alphas are probably getting it pretty nicely the betas are getting it the alphas are, are going to be higher up they're the ones sometimes leading the countries or yeah uh the departments yeah so the middle grades there are kind of middle class now right Betas would be your upper middle class, Ooh, right. I guess. It, to to an extent. I mean, it's not exactly the same. But but this, this part is the same, where they have this kind of, well, we're doing okay, because we might not be alpha, but at least we're not epsilon. Like, at least we're not doing this work. Like, we're doing quite well, you know. And then they say that the guys doing the grunt work at the bottom are happy. But are they? You know, because Tolstoy said, oh, look, the Russian peasants are so happy. They sing their songs when they're out in the rain, plowing my field. They love it. And it's like, they do they, though? Well, yeah, except you also have them who don't know any better. So the Epsilons don't know, like, what it's like to be an Alpha. So they are happy in their certain situation, Mm. and they're taught that because when they are born up until, like, well, forever, basically, you while you're sleeping, you are being told certain things, and you're able to repeat those things because that's kind of the turns of phrases that they use. And... Yeah, uh, yeah. Everything they're taught in their sleep, they then believe. So that's why I'm like, it's not exactly dystopia because no one's unhappy. It's yeah. And intellectualism you could argue that it's a utopia in a way. Yeah, intellectualism does not exist. You are not allowed to ask questions because no questions are necessary to be asked. So we want to say that that's. Terrible, you know, and I mean, as a philosophy grad, I want to say that that's a disaster. Like, and the most important thing is, is being the Socrates of your town wandering around asking all the questions. But, but honestly, in recent years, I've really retracted from that. And I keep thinking to myself, the less intelligent people seem to be the most happy. So this book is kind of playing on that premise that if these people aren't asking the philosophical questions, you know, they're just going about, they're doing their thing. I mean, some of their lives are meaningless, you know, to be honest. They don't achieve anything, a lot of them. Um, when they start to feel down, they do feel down and they do feel the depression. They just essentially take drugs. Like, they just, they fill up on the stuff. They go on a holiday. Uh, they just kind of space out for, for a day or two. And then they come back and they go on with their meaningless lives. Basically. And it it's not that bad. It, everyone has, like, uh, good housing and... Everyone, like, the only thing you're worried about is maybe if you do speak out, you're going to be that nail that sticks out and they're going to, like, move you to Iceland. But it's not like they're not going to kill you. Yeah. It's not like in 1984 where they're like, these people disappear. You don't want to do that. In this case, it's just like, yeah, we just got to move you because now... You just don't fit uh, in society anymore. Yeah, you don't fit in. But they've also mention other experiments where they try like okay we're gonna make everyone alphas just Mm. to see what it's like and those societies just crumble and fall apart it doesn't work yeah no and so they're like well it's absolutely necessary to do this now the one thing i don't like is that so huxley believes certain things will happen in the future one of them that really stuck out to me so in the book basically everyone belongs to everyone so you're welcome to have sex with anyone you're not most like one out of a hundred people are able to get pregnant and you have those i like uh they call them malthusian belts which is where they keep their birth control malthus was an uh a philosopher who believed that uh there should be population control so 
I like that hint. That that's cool. There. Um, but yeah, you can just kind of just have sex with anyone. Kids just kind of go around and naked while they're playing because it doesn't matter. It's not really seen as a negative thing. Religions died out, although they kind of see Ford as a god, which I sure. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing about the book I didn't really like. It not aspect, yeah. Being there, like, it just felt dated immediately. But where was I going about? Oh, yeah. he Huxley thought, like, yeah, well, divorce rates, like, 50% right now. And this is 1930s, I think, he was writing this. Um, so in a few years, they might just start giving out marriage licenses like they do dog licenses. Mm. Like, uh, just... 12 month period and then you turn that person in and get someone else it's like yeah a lot of your predictions definitely didn't come right come true but he asked a lot of interesting questions but you, yeah i mean you can ask those questions and you can ask what would that be better or worse and how would it yeah. be and, and all this kind of stuff you know and so you do have a character in here bernard marx he's kind of the main character for a bit because he takes this other woman lenina or I guess that's her name on a trip to mexico and in mexico this is where where they were losing me a bit because they have like reservations for savages so people mm. who just survive outside of the way their society is people who are actually able to grow old and uh, they don't have the medicine like everyone else. And it's kind of like how we are today, except we are, we also live like a stone age in mm. a way. You got bows and arrows and they also combine all the gods together. So you have Jesus combined with some other like Native American type mm. of God. Um, and you get introduced to John, who basically they just call him John Savage later on. <laughs> In the reservation, they meet him. They realize, oh, he's actually son of someone from the outside world, the civilized world. Yeah. And they bring her and him back. The mother doesn't really matter that much. She kind of just disappears in the story. She She's important to John, and so we see that a little bit. But everyone's interested in John and it's John seeing what the civilized world is like and going to the feelies, which are the movies. And he kind of hates it because he realizes all the problems with it because he's trying, he actually has that free will and the free thinking here. Yes. I mean, this is why it's dystopian, I suppose, because they've taken away the the free will and the free thought. The, The savages, they're the, ones living in the real world but they're the ones who are growing old dying unhappy and it's not very comfortable lifestyle for them yeah i'm really torn on this because i again i want to say that they are living the better life but then it's like well they're not as happy so are they? That, that, yeah. that's got to be an important you know criterion <laughs> my my book I wish I had taken a snapshot of it, but it started with a quote in French all about basically saying like too much of a good thing is pretty terrible. And so it talks about how the utopia 
is too much of a utopia and turns into then a, a dystopia. And I wish I had kept it because mm. it was kind of interesting, but it was a weird translation. And <sighs> yeah, uh, my book spoiled the ending in the introduction, as I was saying, because yeah. it says, well, John basically escapes from this. He lives in a some tower and people flock there just to see him and take videos and he hates it and tries to fight him off and he attacks the woman that he fell in love with Lenina she can't understand him because he wants to be monogamous she doesn't understand monogamy whatsoever yeah yeah I remember that attacks her and spoilers for the ending he goes inside and hangs himself he couldn't cope with this fake world yeah which he kept going to Shakespeare, quoting this brave new world. Um, I do like the amount of Shakespeare that he uses. And mm. there's also someone in the civilized world who also knows Shakespeare. Um, everyone else had it removed, but this higher up who basically was allowed to break all the rules. Yeah, that it's he always made. the way. Yeah. I originally read this, must have been nearly a decade ago now, thinking, you know, this was a terrible dystopia. But I think my modern thought has changed a little bit on it, yeah. you know? I I understand it's a dystopia because I'm the type of person who would go into that world thinking I knowledge is the most important mm. thing. That is my true value in life. And I wouldn't have that value in this world because you're not allowed to inquire yeah. and learn. But things. everyone... Is everyone happy though? Because they, you know, they get they need to take these holidays. They need to take the summer. They need to drug themselves to to get through life. They do feel down without it. You know, well, they know something it, isn't right. It's the same. So the philosophy question that I remember being posed in high school was: you have the opportunity to enter this like phone booth type thing where you grow fat and ugly and you just look terrible, but they put this device on your head, which gives you pure ecstasy and you never want to leave. And nobody, you can leave anytime you want, but nobody ever has. So mm. what do you do in that situation? Do you go into that type of booth to feel that type of ecstasy and to experience those types of experiences? Or do you never go in? Yeah. I mean, I suppose that at the time I would have said no, because there's some authenticity in having this, like, this real experience or some value yes. to that. Nowadays, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed that thought. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this was a really good book. I want to ask very, you very quickly, and I'm already on my book for next Yeah, time. it's a quick one. <laughs> and there's a very different vibe between this. I mean, this is a sci-fi futuristic kind of yes. vibe uh, it gives me the idea that it's colorful and snazzy compared to the depressing 1984 <laughs> but let me ask you and the two authors didn't like each other because they, they had different ideas about you know what the world would be i want to ask you two questions one is is which one is the better book but also then is which one do you think is the more believable dystopia that's that's a good pair of questions because i think the better book is actually brave new world I did wow. like 1984. I did really like it. Um, but I feel like this one was a major page turner. I 
but because I understood the world, he built that world so well mm-hmm. um, that I could understand all of it very easily. 1984, it was so uncomfortable going through that world. And that's why 1984, I feel like, is more believable. Yeah. Um, now, if you were to say which which one is maybe what I would hate to see the world turn into, it would definitely be 1984. Um, yeah. Do I think 1984 could happen? Yes. Do I think Brave New World could happen? Absolutely not. No, that's the thing. I would argue that 1984 is already happening, like it's beginning. I honestly mm-hmm. see us going into the dystopia. And someone said to me recently, Orwell, Orwell thought that we would have to be forced to have all these surveillance devices put in our house and everything like that. He never, ever would have predicted that we would just happily bring them in because they play <laughs> songs for us and, and whatever, you know? Yeah, so, Alexas, our phones, all yeah. that. Yeah, so like that is already started, whereas the Huxley thing feels a bit more far-fetched. I would say that I think 1984 should be mandatory reading for everyone. I've never really said the same thing about Brave New World. Yes. I only really recommend it if you liked 1984, and I'd be like, okay, cool, now I try this for comparison. I think you people know? will have more fun with Brave New World. I think people will be able to sit down and read it easier. 1984, yeah, that's more necessary. Yeah. Sure. Um, does that make you want to read Fahrenheit? Yes. <laughs> I can yes. lend it to you. I have a copy. Good. Um, now, you also read a book that was a bit dystopian. I did. I've had this one on my shelf. So basically, the, re- the reason for this is everyone recommended the Netflix show, and I kept saying, well, I can't watch it until I've read it. So I bought the book, what, four months ago? And it's just sat on my shelf. And I never got round to it because there's just so many Balzacs and Dumas to get through, right? <laughs> um, but then when you when you said you were doing Brave New World, I thought, okay, let's let's get into it. Then this is a good time to read Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. Um, yes. And now I'm going to go watch the Netflix show. Ooh. I'm actually watching a dystopian show called The Barrier. It's a Spanish show, but I've only got one episode to go, and then I'll get into this. Um, I might have to join because one's... Handmaid's Tale. It's always. Re- referenced when talking about like america these days and i'll get into your Mm. thoughts about that from what you see but go ahead and tell me a little about it so i mean just like step one i loved it okay let's just get that out of the way it's a a fantastic book it's very well written and everything sometimes occasionally i find if, if i'm nitpicking i find the writing a little bit off or i'm like why are you not using speech marks every time people speak why is it and things like that that annoys me i i just Tried to let that go because it's saying good, powerful things and it's a great story, you know? I was um, worried that it was going to be dry, actually. No, it's not. It's very good. It's about 300 pages as well. Your standard accessible novel length, you know, the shorter sort of novels. Um, I always see a 300 pager as like quite inaccessible. You can kind of pick it up and read it in a week novel. Once you're hitting sort of 400, 450, it's one of those. It's like, okay, it's a little bit longer investment. So I like a 300 pager, you know, I think it's, it never puts me off reading it. And I would recommend this, but I still think it comes fourth in the list. You know, it would still be 1984, Brave oh. New World, Fahrenheit, and then Handmaid's Tale. It's 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 bringing up the rear, you know. Oh. I don't think... Maybe you could put it at a tie with Fahrenheit, or if you really wanted, you could try to put it above it. You could argue those two. But you're fighting for third place, you know. 
Okay. Um, so our main character is a handmaid. What that essentially... Do you know anything about this, by the way? No, not right. really, other than it's uh, about a theocracy. Yeah. So what the handmaid essentially is... So we're living in a, in a kind of control, the usual stuff, dystopian, totalitarian type of state. Um, these handmaids are people who... They live in a household. There's a commander. The commander has his wife. If the wife is unable to have a child, they bring in a handmaid. And the handmaid's job is to have a child, basically. So they even discuss at one point whether or not it's rape. And the character says, it's not rape because I did sign up for it, technically. But I would say it is rape because it was a very forced choice. It was do this or go to the colonies, which is the same type of threat from, from Brave New World. It's like go out with the savages kind of thing, you know? Oh. So it was a very forced choice. They take, she has a boyfriend and she has a daughter that they take her from. She doesn't even know if they're alive or dead. Um, And there's something called the salvagings where they will just have people hung up on a wall by a hook dead and these are like enemies of the state from brave new from from 1984 type type thing so it's and she's always waiting to see is her is her boyfriend going to show up in the you know with the guys typically the people that they're killing are you know people who were doctors or you know intellectuals things like that who of course they say have done horrendous things but it's all fictional it's like Um, the two minutes of hate in a way yeah it's it's literally that now, these people, these hand wa- handmaids, literally have their identities stripped away. So you, you become of and your commander's name. So if you had a handmaid, her name would be of Alex, and mine would be of Dean, and that's your name. So the identity is gone. Um, you don't have, they, they say in it, you don't have to worry about the husbands, it's the wives you have to worry about. Because these are wives who cannot give birth and have to allow what usually ends up being a younger woman to come into the house to have sex with their husband. So they hate them and they are allowed to hit them. Wow. Okay. So um, you, you're a slave. Yeah. yeah. And the slave. way they have sex, it's called the ceremony. And the what the handmaid has to lie with her head on the wife in a, it with a curtain and the commander will make love to her acting as though it's the wife wow and they're not allowed to kiss there's no like it is literally just it's an in and out it's a very perfunctory this is something that we have to do there's no emotion there's no foreplay not nothing like that you know it's a very even the commander isn't enjoying no one is enjoying this there's three people involved in this and no one is enjoying it um and of course they have very little writes even the other servants in the house aren't really that nice to her there's a group called martha's they are the ones that are always kind of they've got some kind of ear to the grapevine so they're gossiping and they're like oh so-and-so had a kid and -and so-and-so's kid died and this happened so they've got a bit of an outside world voice someone's telling them something but the handmaids are being told nothing you know they're just being kept in essentially in a seclusion they're allowed to go to the shop but they have to be accompanied by another handmaid the idea of that, of course, is that you're spying on each other. Oh, okay. But she does eventually meet one who she befriends, 
who tells her there is a kind of group of us who aren't buying into this um because you have to not believe in it they talk a lot about the belief and you mentioned the theocracy you know you're supposed to believe in these things um it's this super religious kind of stuff they're giving them you know bible quotations and things like that interestingly they give them from each according to his ability to each according to his need the marxist slogan and they say that's from saint paul now i looked (laughs) it up and apparently saint paul in, in the acts there is a it's a real stretch. He just kind of says there was this one group of people and they distributed things as they needed them or something like, you know, and and some people have said, ah, Marx got it from that. And I, I don't know. But this in this in this society, that is a the Marx quote is a quote from St. Paul, basically. And a lot of it is this religious harshness that is being put on. And their life is terrible. You know, she's not even allowed a light in her room because one previous handmaid used it to hang herself. At one point, to get a favor, she does something for the wife, and the wife says, "You can have a few puffs of this cigarette. Go and tell the servant that tell the cook that I allow you to have access to one match." And the cook's like, "Why are you allowed one match? That's not normal." You know, because you could burn the house down with it or something. Like they have nothing. They are allowed nothing. So. This one, a lot, unlike the one you read, where you could be like, well, maybe it's a utopia. I mean, you could argue <laughs> that for this. You'd have to be like a really, really, really strict religious Puritan type. like Because they tell us it's a utopia. So what they say is there's a difference between freedom from and freedom to. Yes. So they say um, in the old world, you had freedom to. And they say, you know, all these girls were going around in their skimpy clothes and they were going to the cinema and they were smoking and they were kissing boys and they were having babies. And it was all so free, but it was so horrible and immoral. And we can't even imagine that anymore. Now you've got freedom from, you're protected. And they do raise the point that like in those days, people got like assaulted and raped and mugged and all these type of things. And that doesn't happen anymore. So... They say, you know, you've got freedom from and you're protected and it's all nice. And, you know, the society is really strict. Obviously, it's not. That's that's a horrendous trade off, you know, but. Yeah, but that's interesting because the freedom index, when ranking countries, for example, they look at freedom to and freedom from. But, for example, like the U.S. is not ranked first because it only does freedom to do something. Yeah. Whereas other countries are ranked much higher because they also have freedom from, like freedom from homelessness, freedom from, you know, getting shot. Um, I, I'm just saying that because I had, like, a active shooter drill thing <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. That was fun. Anyway, uh, not getting into politics much. Uh, so, yeah, tell me more. <laughs> so... Yeah, and that's fair. This book is essentially what if there was all freedom from, but there was zero freedom to, you know? Yeah. Now, that's... there's also a group called the Eyes who are spies who just go around waiting for you to mess up so they can pull up in a van and, and take you away and no one will ever hear from you again. And there's a chap who is a kind of chauffeur in the household and he wears his cap at a jaunty angle and winks at her <laughs> occasionally. And she's like, He's not attractive, but he is a man who isn't the commander. Do I want to have sex with him, or is he an eye, and is this all designed to control yeah, you me? Can't, 
trust anyone. No. Just like in 1984, like you can't trust the shopkeep, you can't trust your boss, never trust yep. your boss. But uh <laughs> and to, well, that's true. To get food, by the way, the cook will give her a token and be like, here is a fish token. Go to the shop and give in this fish token and this, you know, tomatoes token, and he will give you fish and tomatoes. You don't have access to actual money. Wow. So that's another lack of freedom there. Um so some of the stuff, you know, it's kind of crazy. They also condition these women that, like, they should like to have sex with the commander by making them watch porn. They'll just sit together and watch porn of, like, girls, like, sucking guys off. But then they also, like, suck guns and things, and it's, like, really weird, and I don't know why that was included. But it's it's a very okay. messed up place. Um, so, one day... The commander calls upon her and says, look, I actually want you to do something unusual for me. And she assumes that, you know, he's got some kind of sex dungeon or something. And he just says, would you play Scrabble with me? And they just play Scrabble. Oh. And then he starts calling on her from time to time. Now, he does ask for a kiss as they part. But but, but this isn't him wanting to have the sex, you know, and he doesn't get on well with his wife either. This is him being like, because games are banned. There's no game. There's no Scrabble. He that's contraband. And he lets her read some magazines and gives her some hand lotion. And these are all contraband things. Um. Then eventually he takes her to a club, and wouldn't you know it? All the upper class people who are running the regime are breaking all the rules all the time. And they go to a (laughs) club full of like sexy girls in lingerie, and you know all this. Essentially, it's a brothel. And he brings her there and smuggles. He, he has to smuggle her out, even though he's the commander. He still has to smuggle her out in the car, uh, h- hidden, you know, in the footrests. And um, they go in there, and it's used for the commanders, the senior commanders, and there's some there's just some Japanese tourists who are over as well who get to see things, some some like trade delegates and things like that. Imagine being a tourist in this situation, because in 1984 in Brave New World, it's it's a closed all society. over the world, entirely closed. Yeah, here there are tourists. Tourist. Um, yeah, and of course they the tourists stop her in the street at one point and say, "Are you happy?" And she has to say yes because she'll immediately get arrested if she doesn't. Yeah, but um, here's an interesting point. She's an old friend who's very I think she was called Moira, but she's very feisty and she's the one who's always trying to run away and always getting caught and getting in trouble and this kind of stuff. And she runs into her again in the in the brothel place, and she's working in the brothel. And immediately, so my I was in two minds here because I thought, well, she's got it much worse. She's being raped every day. She's being forced to work in a brothel. Um, and then I was like, well, hold on. The handmaid is kind of also being raped constantly, but mm-hmm. she's being subject to this really strict lifestyle. The girls in the brothel are actually chatting to each other. They've got friends, they're drinking, they're smoking, they're partying. I don't know who has it worse. Like neither is good. It definitely sounds like her. The ones in the brothel sound like at least there's they some, some semblance of freedom. Freedom, yeah, yeah. But of course, they're being used potentially more regularly. I guess is the the trade off, you know. Yeah, there's that, but it's hard to say. But no know. one's no one's getting it good, you know. Um. I don't know if the commander genuinely likes her or if it's just like she's probably in a line of girls that he's done this with. 
and he wants to hang out with them. You know, he, I get the feeling that he is sad because he kind of realizes there's problems in the world. And he's like, I just want to play Scrabble and do normal things that we used to do, you know, years ago. But at the same time, it's like, does he really care about her or is she just a means to an end here? Um, hmm. And I I think it's the second one because there's a moment when he tells her, oh, yeah, the handmaid who was in your room before, uh, she hung herself on the light. And, oh, yeah. And the girl says, ah, and did Cora, the the cook, find her? And he says, yeah, Cora came in and found her, poor girl. And yeah. the narrator says he meant Cora when he said poor girl for having to see it. He didn't mean the dead girl. He didn't care about her. Mm. You know, so, the, so that's a big part of it as well. So... I mean, there's more I could go into, but I don't want to spoil every aspect of it. Like, I do think that it, it's a short book. It's a fun book. It will make you think about a lot of things. It is horribly dystopian. It might be worth reading. But this is one, I'm not going to say what happens, but this is mm. one of the only dystopian books where the epilogue actually tells you that society is no more. We are now, it's over. Good. Okay. That doesn't happen We're... in any of the others. There's a positive ending. Yeah, definitely Brave New World doesn't have a positive ending. Definitely 1984. Oh, man. The only thing I'm thinking of is when we watched the movie V for Vendetta. That's Mm. how I kept thinking, this is how I would like 1984 to end. Because it has a positive ending. I don't want to feel depressed. Uh, Well, Mm. that's the whole point. (laughs) But um, I don't know. Do you think think the kind of positive ending... The, the thing is the positive ending is years later so okay. it doesn't spoil anything in this handmaid's life there is a sequel apparently the testaments oh, um interesting but yeah i don't know i mean here's an interesting point the commander's wife was one of these like anti-feminists preaching the values of traditional housewives and she preached it so much that they actually did it and then she ended up being the traditional housewife and losing and she she used to be like a singer and she obviously couldn't do that anymore so she like lost all of her own freedoms and i think kind of regrets doing it you know so there's that aspect of it as well so to ask you the question that basically you asked me um how likely do you think this future is mm. in this situation some aspects of it i could see as like i mean here's one bit right one thing that i thought was possible uh at one point the society the society decides that women no longer have the right to have bank accounts but because no one has money because all the money has become digital they're able to just press one button and close all the female bank accounts and although i don't know if that would happen it's one of those black mirror moments where you're like oh yeah and we're going towards that by constantly moving towards like contactless and digital bank accounts and getting rid of money so we're putting the building blocks in place you know so those aspects I thought were were quite likely uh, to some degree. The theocratic mm. side of it. Now, obviously, you do have several countries where, like, it's illegal to break the law of uh, any type of religious book in that country, mm. um, or certain well, religious books. I'll tell you why I think it is realistic because it already the way that the way that they take power. Um, is an age-old way that was done many times, including um, included by the Nazis, for example. There's a national emergency declared. They've got to introduce emergency legislation, but don't worry, guys, it's only for a short time until we get everything cleaned up. And then it just never goes away. 
And that's very possible. And, you know, and of course, there were conspiracy theorists saying things like that during COVID lockdowns, that this could happen. So clearly people believe that it's a likely kind of thing to happen, you know. So I think in some, I mean, going the whole way, because they they have to put this whole system in place. I think that's unrealistic. Mm. You know, where they've got the Marthas and the Eyes and there's a group called the Angels and there's these guards and all, all, all of that. Probably not. But some definite, levels, yeah. Definitely certain politicians, for example, trying to put in like dogmatic legislation yeah. or something from religious books. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, seems plausible. Well, not I plausible, th- but happening. I think some aspects. And it begins with something that's happening. It begins with people, you know, burning books and saying we don't need this kind of stuff. It's immoral. And that mm. happens, you know. So anti-intellectualism is one of the biggest things we see that a lot happening a lot right now. Like yeah. what's happening in schools and trying to ban certain things. And I mean, that's the whole point of Fahrenheit four fifty one. So uh, we yeah. might have to get into that another time. We we hopefully we will. One 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 aspect that I missed is they the purpose of this woman is to give a baby. It turns out that probably a lot of these old commanders might be infertile or they're old or they're you know whatever mm. um but what officially those who can't the women will they get i think they get three tries uh, and then they'll be sent to the colonies i think if they can't produce a baby officially uh every man is fertile and if a woman is if a baby isn't produced it's the woman's fault that's the official law in this country oh, of course now what happens is you'll go to a doctor for your exam and he will say Half these commanders can't actually get pregnant. But if you have sex with me, I'll get you pregnant. You can go back and pretend it's his. He can give it to the wife. Everyone's happy. Mm. She's essentially being raped again. Yeah. So that's another... Or do you want to be... It's just the same thing you already said yes to before, though. It is, but with another... handmaid or go to the colony. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then you can get into choices, like and free will arguments and we don't need to get into it but you know i'm one of those people that says if you hold a gun to my head and then ask me do you want to do this like i don't count that as free will because you're really impeded in making the decision and that's kind of what's happening here you know Hmm. it's like oh yeah you had the choice it's like well it it wasn't really a fair choice it is like possible it's almost like a (laughs) 22 yeah (laughs) um but there's also horrible parts where this one girl in her past had been raped and had an abortion, which of course this super religious group wouldn't wouldn't yeah. like. So they get the girl, and they all sit around and they point like it's your fault, it's your fault, until she cries, and then they all chant "cry baby, cry baby." Like it's really just horrible. Oh, wow. Some of this was difficult to get through. Some aspects I was like, "This is," but that's, that's horrendous. Why it's an important book as well. Like with 1984, I was saying it was hard to get through it at times because of how it it made you feel. Yeah. I don't think 1984 had anything that painful, though. I imagine mm, some people no, with like PTSD no, of that is... Yeah, there was no sort of one scene that was quite that graphic in, uh, in 1984. But you really feel for the girl because she really feels trapped in this society. And... Sometimes I think it's unrealistic because it's like, how many handmaids can there possibly be? How many commanders can there possibly be? So you you sort of think there's got to be like another layer of society that is continuing as normal. You know, there's got to be like the lower class. Because in most of these books, the lower classes are being left alone. 
Hmm. You know, even in 1984, it's like, well, they can't organize themselves, so just leave them alone. It's the middle classes that you control most of the time, you know. Hmm. So in some ways, I wonder if like a little, if that's unrealistic or if some more explanations or world building were needed. But I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say I really liked it and I would potentially be interested in the sequel and I'll leave it at that. And we might have to watch the series together. We we definitely can. Yes. We definitely can. Uh, the next book I read, I think I'm just going to spend two minutes on. It was just one of those things where I was like, I've got a couple days left of the month. Can I squeeze something in? And the shortest book on my shelf was A Man and Two Women by Doris Lessing. <laughs> now, I thought this was going to be a guilty pleasure book based on the title and the steamy looking picture of the girl in the front. But then I thought <laughs> Doris Lessing. And I thought, is that not one of those like crime writers, like Agatha Christie style? So I couldn't figure out, was I about to read a crime novel or like a steamy guilty pleasure, you know, um, erotica novel? Neither. Oh. <laughs> so I, I open it up and I read this story. First chapter is called One Off the Short List. And it actually ties in with the previous theme a little bit. It's a pretty sickening story about this guy who writes for a TV show or TV news type type stuff. He's a bit of a hack. You know, he never made it successfully the way he wanted to. He's going to interview this girl or he's he's not even doing the interview. I think he's just writing it, you know, producing it or whatever. Um, so he meets the girl and he decides he's going to have sex with her. He's married, I think, but that's irrelevant, you know, and she's married. None of it matters. He basically rips, he goes back to her apartment and rips her, you know, and she's she's insisting, like, don't do it, don't do it. And eventually she gives in and he's like, well, there we go, you've given in. It's like, well, no, you, you really didn't give her any choice. You really, really forced it. Um, and the whole purpose of it is so that he can bring her to work the next day on his arm and say, look, here I am with the nice girl. And she says to him, you don't even fancy me. And he's like, well, that's not the point. You know, he does it because he can. So I read that chapter and I'm thinking, wow, what a start. Like so much has happened in the first chapter of this book. And then I read the second chapter and it's about two dogs. And then I realize this is a collection of short stories. It's an anthology. Oh, no. So that's it. I don't find the guy doesn't get it. You know, I was waiting for like a whole story where he was going to get his comeuppance and she was going to. No, that's it. It's a collection of short stories. The second story is just about two dogs. It was irrelevant. (laughs) So I couldn't believe it. I was very upset. Oh, no. That's terrible. Yeah. It's an anthology series. That's... Were there I mean, any I... other good stories in there, at least? I'll mention quickly one or two. But, but you know, here I am thinking, what a start. Like, so much has happened in the first chapter. And now we're going to see, like, this big story where she, like, really cuts him down to size. And it's like, no, it's all, it's all gone. <laughs> um... There's one called A Woman on the Roof, and these builders are like doing a building project up on the roof, and they see an, a woman sunbathing topless on the next roof, and they all check her out the whole time. And eventually, the youngest one, the kind of apprentice lad, goes over to the other building and goes up, and she's like, What the hell do you want? Go away. But they had got it. Like, she knows we're watching her. Oh, she's such a slut. You know, she loves the attention. All this like chauvinistic nonsense. Mm. So the one boy approaches her, and she's like, Go away. What are you doing here? And he's like, but I love you. And he's the youngest and most naive one. So he thinks it's love. But it's this interesting way that it shows you the different ways of thinking. She's like, you've been perving on me and now you need to go away. And he's like, yeah, but I've been looking at you and I've fallen in love. You know, so it's kind of interesting to see the way that a young boy might think versus her being like, that's horrendous, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's misunderstanding cues, like social cues or 
really anything misreading a situation yeah then there's one called a man and two women that's the the titular one and this guy and his wife (laughs) his wife are there and they're talking (laughs) to their friend and their friend's like oh my husband works away a lot and yeah he probably cheats on me but that's fine this book has a lot of people not minding affairs by the way and the dogs as well i assume yeah yeah (laughs) and it's just like she mentions it like the woman's like, yeah, he cheated on me last week too. But, uh, and he's like, oh, why would you keep going on about that? And apparently he did it so laissez-faire. Like they, he just woke her up in the middle of the night. It was like, goodness, I've just realized I got drunk and had sex with a woman across the street last week. But sure, never worry about it. And he's like, I don't know why you would worry about that. It's obviously not important. Like, look at you being all dramatic about it, you know? And then the wife is like, well, should we have a threesome with our friend here? And then there's this weird tension where I'm like, is he already having an affair with a friend? Because they act weird about it. And then they kind of gaslight her and they're like, no, this is a ridiculous idea. And then it just kind of ends and it's unclear what happened. Huh. There's a lot of uh, cliffhangers. Yeah. You kind of want resolved sometimes. Yes. (laughs) Some of these should be novels (laughs) or novellas (laughs) at least. There's one England versus England. This one I liked because it's about a guy who comes from a poor family, working class, and off he goes and goes to Oxford and tries to become a middle class uh, guy. And he comes back to visit his family. And he notes and he says, look, they're embarrassed almost that they're poor and that they're, you know, uneducated. Um, And he says, but if my dad hadn't been the only guy in the village to own actual literature... I wouldn't have got the start that then led me to eventually end up in Oxford. So, like, I'm thankful for that. And he's not really that ashamed of them, you know? But then the mom's fussing over him a lot, and he gets really annoyed at her, like, housewifery and subservience, you know, because he wants her to be more intellectual and more middle class and that kind of thing. Um, so that's that's one that, like, doesn't involve any kind of sex or like affairs that, or... Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm skipping a lot. Like some of these are very short. I'm skipping a lot because some of them are just like, here's a conversation between two people and yeah, nothing really happens in it, you know? Um overall, I think I kind of liked it. Yeah, I think some of them were part some of the some of the chapters, some of the stories, but you could probably skip the one about the dogs and a couple others in there. Exactly. There's a few yeah. interesting ones in there. Yeah. Um, the very, very last book I read is by Jay Lee, and it is called A Deadly Deal. And this is a book about... So basically, this guy is working in... It's a pharmaceutical um, place. And what what they're doing is they're trying to design this, you know, wander drug, essentially. Hmm. Um, and they realize that it's actually not safe. Okay. I think it's going to cure diabetes or something. So they, they realize that it's not safe. So, of course, the capitalists, they're just like, well, we don't care. Let's push it out anyway. Yeah, just get it through the clinical trials, hide some of the different like, yeah. side effects or something. So sure. He goes to talk to the doctor, and he's kind of like, this seems not good. And the doctor's like, fobs him off in a weird way. And then he meets him later outside and holds a gun to him. It's like, never approach me like that and work again. Like, there is a conspiracy here. They're forcing this through. And he's like, but they wouldn't get FDA approval. And he's like, well, they have already bought the people who will be approving it in the FDA. 
And then the conspiracy goes all the way up through the government um, to the point where they even wonder, like, is the president involved in this? Like, are these people making millions of pounds on this deal to get this drug through? They'll then have a monopoly on that will kill a lot of people, but make millions and millions of pounds. So then, of course, like these thugs start coming on to him and he ends up on the run and all this kind of stuff happens. Um, Sure. At first glance, saying, does it go to the president? maybe seems implausible, but it's done in a very believable way in the book. And when I see the story about like the drug kind of getting forced through and nobody caring that it might harm people and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, like I can see that, that, that feels very scarily believable to me. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Ah, and if you bear with me, I think we're getting another call. I'll be back just in a few minutes. Hello, you're through the books, boys. You've got Dean on the line. Who's calling? Hi, this is Jay Lee. Hey, that's an amazing coincidence. Um, We were just talking about your book, The Deadly Deal. So thank you so much for calling in. How are you? Oh, thanks for taking the call. I'm doing really well. How are you today? I'm good. I was just telling my my co-host, Alex, um, all about uh, about The Deadly Deal. I, I loved the book, I have to say. Um, it's a, I, I'm a fan of thrillers, you know, I'm a fan of that kind of little bit of action, a little bit of detective type uh, vibe. It's something I've always liked. Even as a teenager, I was always reading those those type of books. So um, lately, I've been on a lot of classic lit, and it's refreshing to kind of go back to the stuff that's just fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, th- I really appreciate you saying that. I'm glad you liked it. It was, uh, it's been a lot of fun to write, and uh, it's kind of been... In a lot of ways, it's my it's my writing uh, my writing first book, so it's it's really cool to see it and to hear you say that you enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, I really appreciate that. Good stuff. Now you say you have other books, right? You've you've written a couple of books before this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So this will actually be my third published book. Uh, the first book I wrote was called The Hubley Case, and that came out in 2018. And then I wrote a book called The Silent Cardinal. And that came out in 2021. But this book, The Deadly Deal, the, the sort of, you know, the fun, nostalgic aspect of it for me was I wrote the first draft about 17 years ago. Wow. And right. Yeah, I was uh, I was working in an industry that was tangential to the pharmaceutical industry. And I had this thought and I sort of put this book together. And and at that time had actually obtained a literary agent and. We were about three weeks away from submission when, uh, unfortunately, he called me up and he told me that he had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And uh, I said, you know, Jay, I really appreciate you being willing to do this, but I think you need to focus on some other things. And he he subsequently passed away. And when that happened, I kind of put the put the book in the drawer Mm. and life marched on. Right. And two other books came and got married, had some kids and all that good stuff. But as I was, as I was looking at it, you know, relatively recently, I just, I couldn't shake it. I really liked the premise. Mm -hmm. And so it started out with me saying, all right, well, I'll, I'll make it current. You know, things have changed over 17 years, but I'll make a few minor tweaks. (laughs) It didn't work out that way. I wound up doing an complete rewrite (laughs) of the entire book, including the title. Um, But, but to see, to see the book, you know, this close to publication and, 
you know, see it in its quote final form, uh, it, it kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit because this was really my first real book, even mm. though it's the third one being published. So long answer to a short question. So this is the special one. Like this is the original one that took nearly two decades to actually come out and you're, yeah, you finally got it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really neat to, it's really neat to see, to see that and to kind of think back to, you know, well, you know, think about yourself. What were you doing 17 years ago? And if what you were doing 17 years ago is suddenly now, you know, going to get its final form and get published and, it just it's it's nostalgic there's no way around it there's some emotion with this one that simply didn't exist with the first two yeah that's fantastic and is that a full circle journey like or or do you still have more plans like are you working on another book already oh yeah yeah i've got i've got a couple of different storylines in the works right now um I've had, I've had quite a few, I mean, that's relative, right? But by my, by my estimation, I've had quite a few fans of the Seabird series. The first two books were a Mm -hmm. series, right? They've asked is, is there going to be another one? So I'm kind of toying with that idea. And uh, then I have another standalone concept that I've been playing around with. So writing is a passion, you know, it's something that I just love to do. And the fact that, uh, you know, I get the opportunity to publish it and, and kind of go down this road is is very rewarding but the the real enjoyment of it is just the act of of sitting down and putting ideas on a paper so i i believe that i will do that uh until i'm not here anymore no matter what capacity it is because i just for me it's just a really fun way to spend some time cool so to give the quick kind of recap we obviously have we have their main character david centrally he discovers this um big you know, conspiracy relating to the um, a drug that's being developed to cure diabetes. Uh, essentially, it's not really safe. That's the, without giving too many spoilers, the drug isn't safe, but they want to release it anyway. That sounds pretty realistic to me. Like, how real, you know, how realistic do you think, how scarily realistic do you think the story is? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will say that, um, I find it to be frighteningly realistic um, because what it, what it really centers around is there are a few institutions and people that could benefit very much from a scenario where any kind of a drug would get launched when it's not ready. And Mm. if they happen to be in the right place and they happen to work together um, based on based on the way that the FDA approval process works and based on the links between the government, the insurance, the pharmaceutical mm. companies, um, it struck me as as a very a believable scenario. Now, I mean, the truth of the matter is you would hope that there would not be people uh, out there who would who would be so selfish. And, you know, the, the villains in this book are clearly putting their own interests ahead of everyone else and risking, risking a lot of lives to, you know, line their pockets. Yeah. Uh, but, but unfortunately we do see that there are people like that out in the real world. So, you know, it, it's research from the standpoint of the approval process and the interconnectedness you know, it, it certainly is not based on anything that, that has happened. It's not mm. based on any kind of a true story. But certainly when when I when I write thrillers and suspense novels, 
uh, I want there to be that element of believability. And, and based on the research that I did, there certainly is an aspect of that to this idea. Yeah. I mean, that's what I felt when I was reading it. I thought, okay, obviously it's fiction and obviously it's a thriller. So we end up with kind of the FBI and they wonder how high does this go? You know, could it go to the president and all that kind of stuff? And I thought, okay, that bit, fair enough, that's fiction. But in terms of the actual idea, I thought, yeah, I could see that happening. You know, <laughs> I could definitely see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, if one of the things that happens as a result of a handful of people reading this is people start thinking about that and talking about that and saying, well, how could we make sure that it doesn't happen? What a rewarding outcome that would be, right? Sure. That wasn't what was in my mind when I was writing the book, obviously. But, um, you know, I think that some of my most, my most, you know, adored authors in this genre, they have, they have written stories that are based on facts and, and data that, that do make them strikingly realistic. And, and yeah. those are those are really, you know, to me, that should be an objective of a thriller writer. You don't want to put you. This isn't science fiction. Right. You do want there to be an element of realism to your plot line. And so I'm, I'm really appreciate you saying that. I'm glad to hear that you felt that as you read the book, that that was kind of one of the things that you had in your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um I'm also a sucker for romance, so part of my investment was like, "What is anything going to happen with Anne and, and David?" And it's not really, you know, it's not it's not laid on very thick throughout the book. That was never their intention or or anything like that. But I'm always just kind of thinking, like, okay, maybe maybe something's going to happen with them because that that always kind of gets me, you know. Um, but what I'm also interested in is the brother relationship. So again, without spoiling too much, at some point, David's brother Doug gets involved, and they haven't spoken in in a long, long time. Even though they appear, you know, in a, in a few scenes together later in the book, there's not that part where they catch up or they have their brotherly chat or they say, oh, everything's kind of okay. Was that like deliberate to almost keep them apart, even though they're physically together? Most certainly it was. Um, and the reason for that was twofold. Uh, number one, the circumstances under which they're brought back together, they, they simply don't have time to have the, the catch up mm. chat, right? Because they're running from people who are trying to hurt them. And, you know, without spoiling too much, there's, you know, the bad guys uh, are trying to leverage the brother uh, to, to get David to do something for them. So yeah. the circumstances don't really warrant it. It didn't strike me as realistic that they would sit down and just sort of like catch up. Mm. Um, but but the but the primary reason why they don't do that is because it really speaks to the evolution of David's character. So I really wanted David to be a relatable person. Um, in my previous two books, the protagonist, his name is Ben Siebert. Hopefully, people find him likable. But he's a former you know a former marine special forces trained person he's been equipped with the tools to be able to escape these types of dangerous situations mm. um he's not what i would call an everyday joe um and so when i when i created the david character uh i i wanted him to be very relatable mm. and and one of the ways that he's relatable is his his initial personality when you first meet him is he's a little hardened by some of the things that happened in his past and some of the things that involved his brother. Mm -hmm. And so a part of the evolution of the book is the evolution of David's character. 
where he has to learn to trust someone. And that's where Anne comes in. He has to learn to forgive someone. And that's where his brother comes in. But that doesn't necessarily happen within, you know, one or two days of reuniting with someone that you haven't seen in that long. So I wanted to touch on that character Mm. evolution and make it realistic. But I also didn't want to make it sappy or are disingenuine or, or unauthentic. And so mm-hmm. what I tried to do is I tried to show throughout the book's conclusion that, that David's character has evolved and he has learned to do those things, mm. but it wouldn't have really fit the storyline for him to be doing it real time while they're, you know, dodging bullets and, and chasing on chasing cars and stuff like that. Yeah. Fair. um, But yeah, that was, you're absolutely right. That was, I I did, you're, you're very insightful. Uh, I actually had a chapter that I wound up removing that basically had those two kind of hash it out and, and come to an understanding that I wound up removing because it didn't feel, it didn't feel authentic Mm. to what was going on around them. Fair, fair. And spoiler for something that doesn't happen, but yeah, even in the epilogue or something, we don't get the kind of, ah, oh, they're sitting, you know, having a beer together or something. It's just not there, you know? That's right. <laughs> and and I honestly, I, 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 I think that that, you know, one of the, I've, I've had a lot of early readers tell me that, you know, without spoiling too much that, you know, that was one of the things they were kind of hoping they were going to see. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, I don't know how realistic that is. I I, yeah. I don't I don't know that you would all of a sudden become best friends, uh, even if you can, you know, reach a point of of congeniality. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be, you know, best friends. So um, I, I wanted the I wanted that to be as realistic as possible, mm-hmm. and and I know that that at least to some of the early readers that left a little bittersweet taste in their mouth. But I also mm-hmm. I found it to be authentic. Yeah, I think you're you're definitely right. Uh, and you're right to say, you know, he starts out hardened, you know, he'd had some issues with his brother, with his dad, with his ex, Tiffany, a lot of things that are just, you know, hardened him a little bit. And yeah, he opens up to Anne, but you're right to say he's not going to become best friends with Doug because he had a good friend, Jake, who dies early in the novel. So, you know, he's not necessarily looking to just replace him either, you know, um, and of course, part of the story then is that he realizes Jake's death maybe isn't so out of nowhere or so coincidental and lots of things might be tied together he speaks to dr malik he gives him some clues and off he goes on his adventure so it, it would have been a bit you know it's a very stressful adventure as well so it would have been a bit disingenuous to suddenly say like okay we're all friends you know let's have a chat and yeah yeah no i appreciate you kind of verifying because that that was that was clear that was definitely what was in my head as i was trying to figure out how do we how do we tie this up towards the end and you know I I I think you know one of the one of the things that I enjoyed writing about that character is um to to maybe put a little you know without trying to preach put a little bit of like yeah you know what sometimes we do we do need to move past difficult things in life and sometimes we do need to learn to trust other people and um, he, at the start of the book, he's very unwilling to do that. Um, he's yeah. sort of holding on to the tension from years before. And so I really enjoyed trying to create the scenarios that would make a person kind of realize like, you know, you're only hurting yourself by 
boxing yourself in. And, yeah. and I, I, I'm glad to hear that, that you kind of sensed that as you read the book as well. And it's good as well, because as you say, he's an everyman in the sense that, you know, he, he, he doesn't suddenly become an action hero. You know, he's scared throughout the book and he's kind of hiding and he's thinking like, oh, how am I going to, what, what have I gotten myself into and, and why, you know? And he's trying to do the right thing. He kind of has a noble heart underneath his slightly tough exterior at times. And he's trying to do the right thing, but he doesn't suddenly go into, you know, diehard mode and start kicking ass. He's like, I'm kind of scared and I kind of somewhat regret getting involved in all this, you know, which yeah. is good. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, you're so, your, 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 uh, your comments are so insightful because that was actually one of the hardest parts, uh, about writing one of the most enjoyable and the mm. hardest parts was making him an everyday man because you, you have to create these scenarios where these people who are trained to kill other people are, are, you know, how is he going to get how is he going to avoid that from happening? You know, what yeah. is this everyday guy who doesn't even, you know, know what a gun is? How is he supposed to survive against people who are trained to do this in a way that doesn't feel corny or unrealistic? But even though he manages to escape, you know, one death scenario after another, at the end of it, he is not, he is not Bruce Willis in Die Hard. <laughs> no. He is, he is, he is very much scared throughout the entire book and one of the things that i really enjoyed is that sort of at the climax he has to decide am i going to put all these people ahead of myself or am i going to watch out for number one and i think that that was a, a really fun evolution of his character to write and hopefully it was to read as well mm -hmm. and i know that you came back to the book after a long time was you know, was it something that you particularly wanted to do to cover this like big pharma conspiracy type thing? Or did it just happen to be that was the book that you'd written and you came back to it? You know, did you particularly want to talk about that issue? Yeah, I, I've just always been intrigued by the idea. I, I, I mean, there was no like, there was no specific thing about this time that that made me say, okay, after 17 mm. years, let's give it a look. Uh, I knew that I wanted to take a break from the series, uh, from the Ben Siebert series. I knew that I wanted to try something fresh. Um, and, and the more I thought about it, that idea kept just playing in my head of, I I've always found that to be a compelling idea because it does feel realistic. And I worked in an industry where I got exposed to it enough to know that it was realistic. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't that there was some, some impetus that was happening in this time that suddenly made me say, let's, let's yank it back or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it was very much wanting to do something fresh and really, really liking the, the plot line. And I, I ripped it to shreds and my wife reads every page that I write <laughs> and she rips it to shreds and makes it better. She's a better writer than I am. She really is. But, um, but this central plot line, the idea really didn't change. And, mm. and that, that was kind of like, it's always been something that I've thought, Oh, that's, that's kind of a, that's an intriguing idea. And, mm. and that's really, that's really what prompted me to say, well, I wonder what it would look like if I, took a look at that manuscript and, you know, a lot changes over 17 years, you know, car models go obsolete and processes change mm -hmm. within the FDA and a couple of other things, you know, 
the proliferation of social media and cell phone technology that wasn't yeah. around back then. So um, there were definite, you know, substantive changes and that wound to basically rewriting the whole book, but still keeping that central theme that I liked so much. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, before I ask you the last question uh, that we ask everyone, would you like to, you know, tell people where they can get the book or plug your website or something like that? Yeah, I would I would I would really love the opportunity to have people check it out if they think it might be interesting. The the easiest way, the most direct way to get to the book, if you want to learn more about the book or you want to learn more about me or the other books, is to go to uh, my website, which is www.jleethrillers, all one word, com. And on that website, you'll find you know, ways to, to read about the book. There's some excerpts of the book. If you want to see if it's your cup of tea or not, you can learn a little bit more about the other books. And then if you feel so inclined, uh, certainly there's a way for you to purchase it through a number of retailers. But I would also ask that, you know, if, if anybody out there listening uh, would like to connect, please go to the website and shoot me a note. I would love to hear what your thoughts are uh, and all of the the means that you would need to do that, whether it's you know, read more about the books, read more about me or whatever you can get at www.jleethrillers.com. And uh, I hope you do. I would love to hear from you. Cool. Fantastic. And I'll put a link in the show notes as well, um, as always. So that leads us to our final question that we, we like to surprise everyone with. Um, if there's one existing book that you wish you'd been the person to write, what would it be? Ooh, existing book. So mm-hmm. any book that's been published Ever or ever. like a book that is that is uh, that has been published recently? No, ever go as far back ever. as you like. Ever? Oh wow! Uh, I would say uh, pro- probably um, a young adult book called "Heart of a Champion." Mm-hmm. Um, it's the story of uh, it's the story of two twelve-year-old boys playing the game of baseball and some of the things that can happen as a, as a, as a child moves into adolescence and falls into various traps and can tell sort of tells the story about how these two guys went different routes. And it was just, it's such a central theme to a lot of people that I've met throughout my life. Hmm. Uh, and it's such a, an influencer. Uh, it, it, it was, it was a successful book, but it was not off the charts, but everyone that I've known who has read it, you know, particularly if they read it as a teenager, it's had a lasting impact. And the idea that you could write a book for kids that would have a lasting mm. impact on their lives, I, I find that very compelling, uh, very interesting and deep. So that's how I would answer that one on the spot. How Fantastic. about you? How about you? Oh, I'm going to wow. ask you the same question. <laughs> Almost three years in, no one's actually ever asked me back before. Um, <laughs> I think... I'm a I'm a massive Dickens fan, so I think I would have to go for you know just Oliver Twist or David Copperfield, something like that. I love that type of story, very character based. So I, I think something something like that, you know, very sure, old England sure. based. Yeah. Well, it's funny as I think about it. There's so many other books that come to mind. And like, <laughs> well, that's the one I went with. So yeah, like, it's always like <laughs> to get you on the spot. You know. Thank you so much for calling in. We loved the book, and it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for taking the call. I really appreciate it. You have a you have a wonderful rest of the day. You too. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, there we go. Jay Lee calling in. Fantastic. Uh, we got to talk about another book. 
Uh, that's the second month in a row we've had two authors call in. The surprises, they keep on coming. Uh, you can check out that book as well. It's it, it's another great one. I really enjoyed reading it because it's got a good pace of like the conspiracy stuff with like gets very action based in parts near the end where they're on the run, people get beaten up and this kind of stuff. But the the main character stays believable. He doesn't become an action hero. He doesn't suddenly become he's an office guy, right? So he doesn't yeah, suddenly like Jason become like, them or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna run kicking ass. You know, he's scared Rips the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. I think that that is finally that's us. I think that's everything that we've read this month. I believe so. I'm in the middle of something now, uh, but you'll hear about that a little more next mm-hmm. month. Any idea what you might be reading? Good question. I might spoilers. might dip into some HG Wells. Um, that's a possibility. And there was some other possibility. I think I have this lo- this book with a lovely picture on the cover. It looks like a nice kind of Victorian sort of, but but it's French, I think. But that kind of Renaissance time period. Um, it's called Eugenie something. I've been curious to try that one for a while, so I might do that soon. Um, but actually, it's interesting. Normally, I know exactly what I'm going to read, even if I don't mention it. I haven't really pinpointed down this month's um, this month's reading. Possibly, to... I will do some HG Wells, but that's as far as I've really got with the. With knowing what I'm going to read this month, I have to browse the library then. Yeah, and I've got plenty of books. There's no issue there. It's just um, getting through them. But look, guys, before we go, head to booksboys.com, click on some links, go to our Patreon, listen to all of our other shows. You also get Books Boys early. I think you can get a T-shirt on there. You can do lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not just Playboys. We've got Dark Place Dreamers. We've got Music Man, Poetry Pals, the uh, Forensic Friends interviews from the vault with rock stars <laughs> there's so much stuff on there um we've got some music on spotify you can check out there's a lot of stuff going on you can buy it buy a t-shirt on the website or just go to like instagram and give us a follow at books boys podcast and um you know maybe you'll see alfred on there um being the cheeky chap that he is hmm. And yeah, if you made it this far, thank you very much for listening to everything we had to say about all the books this month. Um, yeah, please do. Uh, if you just want to subscribe to Books Boys on whatever podcast service that you use, that really helps us uh, boost us a little bit. So other people who like books can also listen. That's it. And every people like books. And if they don't, um, force them to like them, please. That would also help. I probably wouldn't be reading as much as I have been uh, <laughs> if you hadn't forced me to do this. There but we go. I have been enjoying it. So good. Uh, and that's not at gunpoint <laughs> because I am thousands of miles away from him. <laughs> but uh, you will be back soon. By the next episode, you will be back. Yes, I will. You have completed your duties in the in the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> uh, yeah. Guys, we're going to end this episode with um, my newest song. It's called Recycled Melody. Um, brackets Soledad in la ciudad de almas perdidas uh, loneliness in the city of lost souls and uh, if the DJ would spin that record we'll be back in about a month boy and I want to tell you something baby I really I really miss you and I really wanted you to come back but now I'm just a lost, lonely soul.
I wanted to tell you how much I love you. I wanted to tell you just what you mean to me. I wanted to tell you how much I love you, but all I can offer is a recycled melody. Que ya no es mía, porque sigo sobreviviendo, tomando la vida día a día. Soledad en la ciudad de almas perdidas. Soledad en la ciudad de almas perdidas. Soledad en la ciudad. And you know, baby, it's been difficult to tell you, but uh, it hurts me so, so deeply. That I have to spend my days without you. And I'm falling apart without you by my side. And I'd do anything to get you back, baby. I wanted to tell you how much I love you. I wanted to tell you just what you mean to me. I wanted to tell you how much I love you, but all I can offer is a recycled melody. No sé dónde estoy, ni siquiera a dónde voy. Estoy perdido, perdido. en este mundo. Fantasmas de amores pesados con ninguna chica a mi lado. Yo estoy solo en este puto mundo. ¿Qué propósito tiene la vida si mi chica ya no es la mía? Porque sigo sobreviviendo, tomando la vida día a día. Soledad en la ciudad de almas perdidas. Soledad en la ciudad de almas perdidas. Soledad en la ciudad. Soledad en la ciudad de almas perdidas. Soledad en la ciudad. Soledad en la ciudad de almas perdidas. Soledad en la ciudad. Soledad. 
Books Boys was presented by The Dean and Playboy Alex in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ah. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Ripoff Zoro. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either pod safe or used with permission. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash booksboys, get the show early, and all of our bonus booth fan the boys shows. And you can also check out our music on Spotify or Apple Music. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books! He's Alex. <laughs> you have to remind me how this goes. Yep. This is, I'm, Every I'm time. the new PJ. I'm the new PJ. You can do something different. <laughs> So I say hello. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>